It is an absolute joy to have my dear friend Al Gordon with us. Um, you, you, many of you will have heard the story of the time that I spent in Asbury last year with Al there and something that was stirring there that I think has changed some of us and given us a vision perhaps of what the Spirit is doing and wants to do as we press forward. And one of the things we, we learned from the time there is just the centrality of unity and, and the blessing of relationships. The kingdom flows down the tracks of relationships. So I'm a big believer that when you establish friendships, when the Spirit begins to move in power in those contexts, if you've got strong relationships, what's happening there just begins to flow to you. That's why we should never fear. The Spirit's moving over there. Why is He not moving here? Well, with humility, just reach out, build friendships, and then the Spirit begins to move along the lines of relationships. And one of the things I've just been aware of, particularly in this relationship with St. Church and Imprint, but many others across the city, it feels like a new circuit board of relationships is being established across the city and far beyond. And the Spirit is beginning to move. Now, there are some extraordinary things that are happening at St. Church where the Spirit is moving in significant power. I have zero threat or zero sense of envy of that. I'm just like, Lord, I bless that. I'm so excited by that. But Lord, would what's happening there begin to flow to us and vice versa? What you're doing here, may it flow there and, and the Spirit begins to move and it's unbelievably exciting. So with that, I want to say our absolute joy to have you with us. So excited that you're with us. Should we give Al a huge round of applause? And let me, let me pray for Al. This is the anointed seat. Oh, did you feel that? God, glory. Um, yeah, yeah. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for the faith that Al operates with, that his passion to serve you and his, his life to be set apart for your purposes is inspiring. And Lord, as he speaks to us now, we pray you'd open our hearts to the message you've put on his heart, which is ultimately a message from you. Lord, we, we want to receive all that you have for us this afternoon. So come and move in power, we pray. Amen. Oh, Pete, um, what a joy to be here. And just first thing to say, thank you for having me. So much love for KXC from Saint. Um, but also just like Pete and B are the best. And I need you to know if you're visiting today, you can stop searching for a church. If you're new to church, make sure you go for dinner. I'm going to come for dinner. I'm going to sign up. Um, but we just love you guys. And um, I've known Pete for probably over 20 years. And um, like Pete was saying, um, God has begun to do something really remarkable in our friendship and f sort of friendships over the last few months. I'm going to share a bit about that. I don't really know why I'm here, to be honest with you. I think um, Pete was like, Wale and Al, hey, you should, we should do a Sunday. And obviously, Wale is more musical than me. Um, so Wale got to lead worship, and Pete was like, maybe... You know, I'll do the notices and you can like do the bit between the notices and the ministry time. Um, but honestly, first thing to say is thank you so much for your courage, your faith, what you as a church, we just love. Honestly, Saint, we are deeply inspired and grateful for KXC. And so you should know this comes with deep gratitude and love from our community to you guys. I'm kind of here to say we love you. We're cheering you on. Second thing to say is deeply grateful to God for this friendship. And we're going to talk more about this, but this is not normal. Just so you know, maybe you're um, new to faith or you're a young person, you've grown up in like a church 
and like in a city, churches of a similar demographic in a similar place don't tend to hang out together. They tend to kind of be in a little bit of like competition or rivalry or like, oh, I wonder what K- KXC are doing bread. We're going to do toast. <laughs> <laughs> T is for transform your morning. <laughs> o is for, oh, Jesus. You know, we, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it's so easy to look over the fence at the other churches around you and go, well, hey, you know, we love those guys because we're commanded to love. But actually what's going on you have to understand, is supernatural and it's deeply profound. And so one of the reasons why I'm excited about being here and sharing today is because I recognise this is not something that is like engineered. It's not like, hey, this, this would be good for us to all get together. Here's a campaign we're going after. God has just broken our hearts for each other. And so what I'm here to share a little bit today is like a story which we're all living in together. I'm really grateful. And particularly if you're brand new to church, um, if you're here for the first time today, um, I hope what I'm going to share today is going to light a match in the kindling of your soul today for what is possible in the year ahead. Now, you might be here and you might be brand new to church and be like, how do I connect in? Let let me tell you, just jump deep in. Sign up for everything. Join every team. Like, join everything. Get involved as quickly as you can. But, But be expectant that when you give yes to Jesus, God gives far more to you and he's going to light something back. So I'm hoping that what we're going to do today is just really going to encourage you and I'm going to share real brief and then we're going to pray. Um, and does that sound all right? Is that what you're hoping for, Pete? Did you want me to sing? Maybe later, maybe later. Maybe this, absolutely not, okay. Um, Pete mentioned Psalm 133 and I want to just go back to that. Psalm 133 says this, where brothers and sisters dwell in unity. In the King James Version, it renders it with the Lord, there the Lord commands a blessing. I want you to understand something about God. It is possible to twist God's arm. God is omnipotent. He's sovereign. He is no man or woman's debtor. He can't be controlled. He can't be contained. However, he has a, not a weakness, but he has a kind of a commitment he has made to himself. He will always be true to his word. He will always be true to himself. He is the word. So when when Jesus says, like, I'm not going to do anything except for what I see the Father doing, and and, and the Father says, this is the word of God. When you're in a relationship with God and God has said something, as as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, you get to kind of twist God's arm. Now, I want you to logically work this back. I don't know if you're like a student of logic, but you understand that if God commands blessing when there's unity, if you want blessing in your life, and you want blessing for your city, you want blessing on your industry, you want blessing on your family, on your flatmates, on your neighbourhood, on your community. Therefore, if you work backwards logically, one of the keys to unlocking blessing is pursuing unity. When we do that, it literally, it's like twisting God's arm. God will have to command blessing where we dwell in unity. So what we're doing today is not just exciting, it's like, hey, it's like, like, you know, West Ham and Arsenal getting together and hanging out. It's actually more than that. Something powerful happens when we as Christians pursue unity. But it's not easy, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. Um, I want to jump in with the the passage I'm going to share, and this is really designed to light a match under your spiritual life in the year ahead. And we're going to go to the beginning of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, and the first 11 verses. Mark is the earliest Gospel written eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And right at the beginning, Mark starts, we'll start at verse one. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. He says this, 
I will send, quoting Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. And then skipping down to um, verse nine. It says, at this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Think about that for a moment. Heaven being torn open. And the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Prepare the way for the Lord. So about a year ago, nearly a year ago, mid-February, I got a text message from a friend to say, the Lord has just showed up in power in this tiny college chapel in the middle of a little village outside of Lexington, Kentucky called Wilmore in a kind of halls, student halls campus chapel called the Hughes Auditorium, named after Pete Hughes, <laughs> I like to think. And over the course of 16 days and nights, the presence of God poured out in that place in the most extraordinary way. And when I heard about this, I was initially two things. Number one, deeply cynical, because I'm just a cynic. I just love, you know, I'm just like, whatever, really, try and impress me. No, I'm not sure that's, that's, that sounds like hype to me. The second thing that really struck me was, I know the Hughes Auditorium. I, I've been there. I spent time with the people at Asbury. I led worship there about 15, 20 years ago at an Alpha conference. I was involved in, uh, I think, a worship center. We worked closely with some of the team there, guys called J.D. Wool and David Thomas and others have grown to be friends over the years. And so I like, that's weird. It's not like it's some random revival breaking out in some like hyped up context. These are like straight up solid chino wearing, like, like really like quite straight up people. And this is the most unlikely place for revival to break out. So I started like messaging friends and a friend, John Tyson, who's a pastor who's spoken here many times. I know John's a great friend. I was like, John, what's going on? He'd been down there. He's like, it's the real deal. It's what we read about. Other friends I was messaging and Pete and I were messaging saying, what do you think is going on? So we ended up jumping on a plane and I don't do this like I'm not one of those guys. I don't do this very often. I've not done this in like 20 years of ministry, but I just felt something in me was like, if there's anything of God, at work in that place, I would like tear open the ceiling. You know when those friends come to Jesus and they, they like got their friend, they lower him through the ceiling. They can't get in through the front door. They're so desperate for God. And that's where I am. I'm like, I'm desperate for Jesus to impact my neighbourhood, my generation, my own life. Like I'm done with religion. I've tried to lead a church in my own strength. It's fine, but it's not gonna get us there. Like, I need Jesus. So I jump on this plane with like an empty spiritual suitcase. I'm like, Lord, if there's anything of you here, would you fill me? Would you meet with me? So I, I get to Asbury and I hire a car. We pull up outside the kind of big parking lot. And I'm still operating in two modes, quite cynical and quite bemused. I'm like, I know these guys. And I get there and I shut the car door. I'm about 300 meters away from the Hughes Auditorium, which is a, not a very huge building, holds maybe 1,000, 1,500 people. And... I shut the car door and I gotta tell you, I'm like, whoa, 
There's no one around. There's no hype. There's no overflow screens. There's no TV or anything like that. I shut the car door and I could feel this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. It's not a comfortable feeling. It's not like arriving at Disneyland. You're like, oh, I can hear it. It's it's getting exciting. (laughs) I was like not prepared for this sense of like, oh, this is like not a drill. This is legit. Jesus, his presence has turned up in this place. What I felt honestly was a sense of like holy fear, of awe. I was like, I've just got to get right with God. So first thing I did was I didn't want to go into the meeting where they were gathering. And I went to this place over the road with my friend Steve. We just got on our faces and we repented for about three hours. We're like, we just got to get right with God. And look, I'm not an axe murderer by trade. I hadn't got like a whole list of things. But I was like, God, would you, would you forgive me for this attitude? Would you forgive me the things I've done wrong? And, and, and the Lord started to like bring stuff up. And I was like, okay, I need to get right with Jesus. Over the period of like a couple of hours, I was like, this is, I can't step foot in that place without having got right with God. And then we crossed over the car park. We walked into the Hughes Auditorium. And I've got to be honest with you, I was deeply like, like underwhelmed. I was like, oh, it's just like church. As I walked in, it was like worship. The worship was way better here, being honest with you. Like, what a, you know, like, that was amazing. It was like a couple of attitude guitars, someone playing a con. And, and yet there was this intense sense of the presence of God, like arresting. Uh, and there's a photo I think we can, we can see on the slide. So much so it spilled out of the Hughes Auditorium and over the course of 16 days and nights, the power of God was so present in that place. The presence of God was so thick that literally... Thousands and thousands of people through the night would queue and come and just meet with Jesus. It's really hard to describe it. But as I sat there, I was like both underwhelmed, but also as I sat in, in, in the worship time, a little bit like being in a swimming pool. If you've ever been in a swimming pool, um, you, you'll know that you, you bounce up and down the shallow end if you're anything like me for a bit. And then you get to the bit halfway down where it starts to get out of touch. And when you imagine you keep bouncing, keep bouncing, you can't see the bottom of the pool, and then suddenly you're over the deepest part of the ocean. As I sat there in the worship, in the presence of God, it was like there wasn't a limit. Like hours drifted by. Like, honestly, it felt like days went by in in moments, being in the presence of Jesus, poured out, manifest in a place. And honestly, what, what completely changed me was that for a long time I'd forgotten that there is so much more to what God has for us than we would kind of imagine. You know, we've limited God to the shallow end of our lives so often, like the, the, the hour on a Sunday or the, the little, you know, maybe five minutes in the morning. But like there is so much more that God has for us. And I felt very privileged to, to be like an eyewitness watching in on what was going on and seeing the impact and the just terrifying sense of the holiness and the awe of God. Just describe to you what it was like for a moment. Like sitting there was pretty much like normal church, but just with a sense of like there was no veil between heaven and earth. A sense of just like the presence of Jesus. What that meant was an overwhelming sense of love, that I was deeply loved by God. Like you, you couldn't contain it. Like I had to keep looking away, staring at the sun, but love rather than light. Secondly, overwhelming sense of just my own need for Jesus' work on the cross. Like repentance, repentance. I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. I need to get right with you. 
And I found myself over a period of like hours and hours just, just on my face crying out, Lord, would you, would you forgive me for the stuff I've got wrong? You, you know, help me change this attitude and fill me with your love. And honestly, it ruined me. I can never be the same from those days. I can never be the same. I mean, it's, it's changed everything. I want to say this to you. If you're hearing apathy has crept into your soul, if you're hearing familiarity has bred contempt, if you're hearing like addiction has got the better of you in secret or your doubts have overwhelmed the narrative of your faith, like God has so much more for you. And I believe we're in like a prepare the way moment where what happened in Asbury was not for Asbury. We had the privilege of watching in and eyewitnessing something that I believe is for you guys, not for old guys like me. I feel like one of the two spies. You know, I got to see a bit of the promised land of what's coming for this generation. And that's a little bit what I share t- today. Um, while we were there, Pete, I bumped into Pete because I knew Pete was going to be there. And Pete and, and Rich, it was just like heaven. There's, there's Pete and I in the Hughes Auditorium. I found this photo I was looking through. Uh, Pete looks like, I was like dragging Pete towards me. It was a slightly awkward photo. Uh, there is another photo of Pete. That he, he has like his hair messed up. I don't want to share that. I'll make it for another time. Um, so look, why am I here showing holiday snaps, telling you about my time in Kentucky? The question actually is, what's the impact of this? Like, is there any fruit from this in our lives? Like, so what? Like, you guys had a great time. Sounds like a great kind of alpha weekend away. What does it actually mean for your life? What does it mean for your church? What does it mean for your community? What does it mean for us trying to work out what it looks like to live for Jesus in 2024 in London? I remember sitting on the plane on the way back. And I was with a guy, Steve, one of our pastors. And I was weeping. I literally wept from the moment the plane took off because I just didn't want to leave. I was like, God, I never want to go back. And I wept all the way over. American Airlines, if you ever want to fly an airline, fly American Airlines. They have super-sized Cokes. They give you big cans. And secondly, they are the nicest people. Like on the plane, all the way over, they thought Steve and I had had a fight because I was crying all the way. So the stewardess kept coming over saying, honey, are you okay? Give me peanuts, uh, peanuts and, and tissues and pretzels all the way over. I'm really, um, yeah, all the way over. They kept coming over like, honey, are you all right? And I was just weeping and weeping all the way back on the plane. And I was kind of grieving, like, I I just want for my generation, I want you guys to experience what I saw a bunch of 20-something college kids. They, like, poked the ceiling open, and they, like, hit the spiritual jackpot. I don't know how it works, but it was like they just poked and poked and poked, and suddenly God was just like, okay, here we go. I'm pouring out my presence in a massive way in one place and I don't know how that works. I've, done, I've got like two degrees. I've done theology. I've studied church history. I've no idea how it works. But the, this is what happens. Sometimes every now and then in church history, God seems to just like pull back the ceiling and go, here you go, guys. Now, I, my overwhelming thing on the plane the way back was like, God, I was kind of grieving because I was like, God, it's wonderful for Kentucky. What about London? What about our generation? I mean, does it not break your heart? That, like, you look at your social media feed. You look through the, 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 like, your friends you're going to see in the next month. People are so desperate. They're so caught up. They're so in need of love and hope. And all of us in this room, we need it. Like, I want more. I'm not satisfied just doing religion all the days of my life. I want the real thing. I want to see the heavens open over London and the glory of God come. And that's the spirit which John the Baptist is writing in. 
read, read about John the Baptist. Mark writes about John. He's like, hey, prepare the way for the Lord. He's crying out in the wilderness. And I do believe we are in a season of preparation. And some of the fruit of that I'm going to unpack. And we're seeing that in things like the relationship between Saint and Imprint and KXC. But much deeper than that, I'm here today to, to tell you that 2024 is a year where you can begin to raise your faith and raise your eyes and raise your hopes and begin to contend not for a kind of quiet, docile, middle-class religion, but a dangerous kind of faith, a faith that sets fire to things, a faith that brings hope and that breaks open the ceiling of heaven above us. What is revival? Well, let's have a bit of definitions and terms and... um, I felt like Pete always has quotes when he preaches, so I found some quotes. I didn't want to like leave you guys high and dry. This is what uh, Jonathan Edwards says. What is revival? Revival is an intensification and acceleration of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. And then notice the word normal. What we're talking about when we're praying for revival, praying for an awakening in our generation, is that God would do the stuff that he's already doing, but in a much more like heightened and intense way. And that, why is that a good prayer to pray? Because you can see more happen in seasons of awakening and outpouring in like a month than you can in a lifetime where it's just like quiet. And I want to be in that kind of place. I want to live in a moment in history where we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because we need it. We need the normal work of the Holy Spirit to accelerate and intensify. And there are moments in human history where God breaks into culture and renews his church in such a way that it's not for the church, it's for those outside of the church. And we've seen this in this country over and over again. In fact, the story of the church in this country is the story of successive awakenings throughout human history. That's how we are here in what is just becoming a post-Christian culture. But the reason it was a Christian culture in the first place was throughout history, there have been waves of outpourings and awakenings that have swept this nation. The Celts, the Dark Ages, the Reformation, the Great Awakenings, Wesley, Whitfield, Fry, Booth, Charles Finney wrote this. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It's the giving up of one's will to God in deep humility. That's what we want for our moment in history. I want you guys to grow up having seen an outpouring in your generation that wouldn't just stop, it would lead to an awakening that would transform London, the UK and the world. And be in no doubt, we need this. We are living at a moment where the tide is at its lowest ebb. Only the embers of the church in our generation remain. I mean, it's it's easy in a room like this to sit there and think, wow, we're doing great, but less than 1% of these neighbourhoods around London today will attend their local parish church. We should be heartbroken for the state of the church in our moment. We should be crying out, God, do not pass this generation by. If I'm honest, that's been my prayer over the last couple of years. I have lots of like great young leaders in the church. I was spending some time with some of our pastors and I was thinking, gosh, I'm at the age, I'm in my 40s. I'm at the age where I've seen God move in power. I've seen waves of outpouring happen in history. I've witnessed firsthand, had the privilege of seeing in China, the underground church visiting there, seeing in Korea, the impact of revival that's burned for 50 years, transformed that nation, seeing the impact of the waves of the Holy Spirit that swept through the church in the UK in the 90s. But I look at my young leaders today, guys in their early 20s, I'm like, you've never seen this. 
I want you to see what the promised land of awakening looks like in your own day. Now, the good news is this. Historically and empirically, when things are worst, God is most likely to move in great power. So we are living in a good moment, okay? It's like when your club is bottom of the league. It can only get better in football terms. It's in those moments when God lights the fire of awakening in saints' hearts. So I'm sitting on the plane, I'm weeping, tissues, stewardess, pretzels, Steve looking slightly awkward next to me, and I'm praying. I said to God, God, we need this. We need this in London. Don't pass us by. That Pete and I had been down the front of the Hughes Auditorium praying together. And, you know, Pete, I want to tell you how good Pete and V are, right? Pete, I'm down the front like a snotty mess praying. And Pete has his arms around me. And he starts praying. He said, Lord, would you send revival to London? But God, don't start with KXC. Would you start with saint? I want you to understand the heart of what kind of leader does that. That's the kind of leader where, like, God is definitely going to move in this community in the years ahead, I'm going to tell you, because that's when you give it away, you can't outgive God. So we are praying at the front of the Hughes Auditorium. Peter's like praying, God, would you start pouring out your power at saint. And, and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, Lord. And would you start doing it at KXC? I'm like remembering. Okay, it's good to be humble. So I'm praying for Pete. I'm praying for you guys. Um, but something in that moment broke where at the heart of revival, our churches were like, we are not going to do it alone anymore. If we're going to see revival come in our generation, we have to work collaboratively for unity. So I'm on the plane and I felt the Lord speak really clearly. And a few times in my life, it's felt like this. And this is one of the things I felt the Lord say. He said to me, Al, I want you to go back to your church and prepare the way for revival. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, and then the Lord said something which slightly terrified me. He said like, you got 18 months. Okay, now listen, number one rule with the prophetic is no times, no dates. <laughs> births, deaths, marriages, like, you know, this guy is for you. That's like, I've taught the seminar on the prophetic. You don't do times and dates. So I'm like, Lord, I'm not hearing you right. But I shared this with our leadership team when I got back, and this was like nearly a year ago. Um, and they were like, hey, do you know what? You're probably wrong on the 18-month thing, <laughs> but that the principle is still good. Like, what if, we, what if we did have a year to prepare for revival? What would your life look like differently if God said to you, in a year from now, I'm going to do the most extraordinary outpouring in London, in KXC. You're going to be part of it. There are going to be thousands and thousands of people going to come to faith. How would you live differently? Like, how would you give differently? How would you surf the internet differently behind closed doors if you knew that when the presence of God is in a place, it's a life and death situation? How would you help differently? How would you disciple? Would you say, well, just feed me? Or would you say, hey, I've got bread for you. I'm going to disciple you. I'm not the finished article yet, but let me help you. So I, I got thinking, well, like, shouldn't we be living like that anyhow? Shouldn't we be ready for God to move in power in our generation, even if we never see it? Like, you know, Moses never got to see the promised land. But he was all about the promised land. Like, could you and I learn to live in such a way that as churches, as, as leaders, as, as servants of Jesus, we prepare the way for revival? So here are three quick things that I've been learning. And um, number one, we've been learning this is a season of consecration. I really believe that. For 2024, we need to get ready to set ourselves apart for 
consecration. Mark begins with Mark 1, 4 and 5. Repentance and forgiveness, confessing their sins. Notice that. Repentance and forgiveness. How do you prepare the way for the Lord? Consecrate yourself. Repentance and forgiveness. Confess your sin. Like hands up who's got sin in this room? It's a trick question. Like if you don't, like we all sin. Like we're called to get right with God continually. Walk in repentance. And I want to just say this as a pastor. That's not just personal. We need to walk in repentance as churches. You know, I, I, I want to say this as the leader of one church to Pete and, and be as the leader of another church and to Wally, I think, who's over the road sound checking for the next service. But I want to say, I'm so sorry, Pete, where we have acted in competition. Yeah, I'm sorry in my heart where I've looked down the social media feed and thought, oh gosh, I wonder what they're up to. Or like, you know, we've had this conversation many times in the last year. We want to walk in total unity. And mate, honestly, from, from one church to the other, we want to walk in total repentance together. And so please forgive us where we've in the past compared or like been jealous or, or like just, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm not, I haven't planned to sort of, as you can tell, this isn't really scripted. I just got out from holiday. But, but I, 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 I want to say, we really love you. and We want to walk in that place of forgiveness. So could we have that attitude with each other? Like, could we make sure we get right with each other? Joshua 3 verse 5 says this, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Like I want to give this to you tonight as a charge. This is not a drill. This is not a dress rehearsal. Consecrate your life. For God, tomorrow will do great things among you. Like this is going to be a year of jubilee for you. You're going to see many who will come to know Jesus. You're going to see incredible things happen this year. But the key to it you have to start getting right with Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and there's stuff that's like deeply ingrained in you that you need to lay down on the cross. Maybe there's stuff that you're ashamed of. You don't have to carry that out the door today. This behind me, this symbol, is the most powerful thing the universe has ever seen. Like you can walk out of here in complete freedom, free from addiction free from pornography, free from things that are going to hold you back, free from things that, that lower who you're meant to be. And that is what God wants to do tonight. So first thing, a church, we're learning to be a church marked by consecration. That's really, really messy, really, really painful. It's awkward. I'm like, I'm really bad at sitting still. You can tell I keep getting up because I'm just like, I hate like the idea of like sitting quietly in the morning. Like it's like torture for me. And the idea of like prayer meetings before services, like, or, or wait, like worship songs. I, I, I'm just, I find that really hard. And we've learned over the last six, nine months to like stop and consecrate ourselves. Like before we do anything, before we get up on the platforms, to get on our knees in the secret place and wait and get right with God before we go and do anything. That for me has been a massive learning. But you know what, guys? I can't believe we didn't figure that out before. Like that's the only way to operate as Christians. Like no one gets to do any of this stuff until they're right with God. But also, this is not the thing. The thing is out there. Where you are Monday morning is the thing. So when you do the real thing, like get right now so you're ready for God to use you tomorrow morning. Does that make sense? Number two, we want to be a church marked by contending, contending prayer. John the Baptist is one of my heroes in Scripture because he had it down. He understood that it was not about him. 
Like his whole ministry could have been a really big deal. But he was like, it's not me, guys. It's him. Look, here he comes. Prepare the way for the Lord. Here he comes. Like his great mantra, John 3, verse 30 says, John says, he, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. Just understand that for a moment. That heart is contending in a culture like we live in right now, where it's all about the celebrity, like, like the influencer. You know, we have a spirituality that's so infected by celebrity Christianity. Like we need to get rid of that stuff. It's about Jesus. Could we contend for Jesus? the one that comes after me. Mark again, verse seven or eight, John the Baptist cries out, after me comes one. Just think about that. Could your life and my life learn to be one that says after me comes one? You know, could we contend to be people who point people to Jesus rather than building up our own following, our own profile, our own reputation? And that's why prayer is so key to this. Because when you pray, when you like break the tube strike, you get on a line bike and cycle through the zero temperatures tomorrow to get to Hackney or whatever it's going to be. When you, someone's going to get an Uber. Some of you are planning your Ubers right now. That's good. That's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing you can put your Spotify on the playlist, get prepped as you go. When you make an effort to get together with, with others and pray, what you're doing is coming against the spirit of individuality, coming against the spirit of like, I'm in this tribe, you're in that tribe. When we pursue unity to call for a wake night generation, something powerful happens. One of the great moves of God that the city has seen was uh, under the ministry of a guy called Charles, Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers. And he saw hundreds of thousands of people impacted. Spurgeon's tabernacle is still there, Elephant Castle. You can still see it. But his ministry was one of just seeing people come to know Jesus, converted, people converted, like a deep sense of the presence of God when he would preach. Amazing. And people would queue through, like, for hours and hours to get into the building that was an enormous, great big kind of preaching palace in South London. And one day some missionaries had come from abroad and, and they were like, hey, we want to come and visit Spurgeon's tabernacle. And so they turned up and they, um, they queued. And as they were coming past the door at the side of the building, the door opened and a, a guy pops out. He says, hello, who are you? He says, oh, we're, we're missionaries. We come to visit. We want to see the secret of the great ministry of Spurgeon's Tabernacle. And the guy says, well, why don't you come inside? I'll show you the secret. We have heating apparatus. And they were like, what? That's so random, like a, like a boiler room. What do you have? So he took them downstairs and in the bowels of the building, like in a room, that there are rooms downstairs here. In the bowels of the building, this guy led them in and in this building, before they opened the doors, there were hundreds of men and women crying out to God on their knees, weeping, their hands stretched in the air, crying out, Lord, give us souls. Would you see people come to know you today? Crying out for revival, crying out for people to come to know Jesus. That was the boiler room underneath that place. Of course, the guy who'd opened the door, the story goes, was actually Spurgeon. He said, look, he was the guy showing around. If you want to see the secret of what I'm doing here, understand that it's contending for revival in prayer. Now, could we be that kind of community? You already are. But let me encourage you, come to seek first on a Monday night. Come and get involved. If you're terrible at praying, just come and lie on the floor until you get really good at praying. Like, come and join us when we pray together as three churches. Something powerful happens. And honestly, we don't think this is a kind of good idea. We think this is a God idea. You know, when we first did that joint prayer gathering, I'll never forget this. Someone had a prophetic word. Are they, are they here tonight? They're not here. Okay, they've, they've, they've left. The <laughs> um, but like someone who's a great friend of Pete's had this, this prophetic word uh, back in 2016, 2015, like ages ago. 
And they were at the prayer gathering in March of last year. And it was Pete and Wally and I welcoming everyone at the beginning and these three churches gathering. And there was, you know, like 500 of us packed into the building. It was complete chaos. We made no plan for the evening. We're just going to worship and pray and see what happens. And they, were, they wrote this email to Pete the next day saying, I can't believe it. When you stood up on stage, I reminded, I was reminded of this, this email I'd sent you a few years ago, six, seven years ago. And they forwarded the email. And there it was in, in print from 2016. And it said this, I had this, this dream. And in the dream, there was this old church building it described pretty much the inside of Hackney Church. And on the stage in the middle, there were like three guys. There was this really like handsome, bearded, I'm elaborating a little bit, like, you know, man of stature, man of authority, white guy, P. Then there was this really cool looking black guy, young guy, Wale. And then it says this, I've still got the email. It says, and another guy. And I like reread the email. I was like, did I miss anything? You know, no, just another guy. So I'm the other guy. And it described the, the prayer meeting. And it said this, as they, as they gathered to pray, these churches came together. God began to lay the foundations for awakening in the city. So we were like, we'll take that up. We'll, that, that's good enough for us. Like, that's why we've been on this journey, because we're like, we're convinced this is not just a good idea, it's a good idea, God idea, that we would learn to contend uh, for revival. Matthew Henry said this, when God intends great mercy for his people, he sets them a prey. Third thing we've been learning is that this is a moment to be marked by communion. Common union, unity through community. Communion, of course, is Anglicans represented by bread and wine. But what I mean by that word is the, is the greatest sense of actually dwelling together in unity, communally. You know, God is in community. Mark 1 verse 11 says, A voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit comes out. The first time we see the Trinity in Scripture together. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it gives us right at the beginning of Mark's gospel this picture for not just the church where we are consecrating our lives and contending in prayer, but actually where we are seeing our community, our communion with each other and with God become central in this moment. And we live in in a moment when there are culture wars. The world is more divided than ever before. You know, I don't want to kind of like start saying, are you for this, are you for that? If I did a poll here, you know, we would have a thousand different views about different things across the day here. There is so much division in our culture right now. But the church is called to be a place of communion, of community and unity and union, all wrapped up together. That we would be a place where we actually get this right with each other. We work it out together. That we'd be a place of love and that's worth fighting for. That's what I love about this friendship that's developed. It's genuinely the most precious thing in my life in ministry right now is what we're seeing happen with Saint and with Imprint and with Cakes. It's so precious to us because it's very rare that you find communion with the Holy Spirit, with friends. And my sense is God wants to do this because he has placed a high priority on our unity as churches in order that he might pave the way for blessing. So honestly, like 18 months ago, I'd have been like delighted when things worked at KXC. 
and been a little bit like, hey, now when I see things work at KXC or someone comes up to me and they say, oh, you know, we, we've started going to KXC, I'm so excited. When I, I hear friends who've joined the church, I'm like so delighted. And when I see things work here, I'm just like, I was saying to, 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 to Matt, I was, I was like, bread is amazing. Uh, would you mind if we stole that? Could we just, could we run bread? Well, I mean, we'll pretend it's ours. No, I'm joking. But like, the, the, we, I feel like zero sense of barrier or territory. I honestly feel like this is as much part of our community as our church. I feel more at home as here than I do in some of my services at church. I just love you guys. And that is supernatural, it's spiritual. And that's communion that comes from the Holy Spirit. But we live in a culture where we have to fight for this. It's not the natural state of things, you know. We have to keep fighting for it. Repentance is vertical. Reconciliation is horizontal. It's like relational repentance carries on. And one of the things we've been seeing over the last year is deep work happening in our relationships. So I came back from Asbury. I stood up with our staff meeting on Tuesday morning and we have a gathering in a room about this size. And, uh, you know, there was worship at normal and I got up to share a little bit of what's been going on in my life and what I'd seen over the weekend having come back from Asbury. Honestly, the Spirit of God fell in the most extraordinary way. And what it led to is three or four hours of people just worshipping and waiting and lingering and repenting. And one of the things I was not prepared for was when I said, hey, we need to get right relationally in reconciliation. So if anyone's got any beef with me, come and find me and we'll sort it out. I was not prepared for the queue of people. <laughs> who are like, actually, no, we feel this is a holy calling right now. You said this thing in like 2018. It's really, am I allowed to say piss me off? I just did. Sorry, guys. Strike. You have to bleep that out. Is there someone who bleeps out stuff? It's really pissed me off, okay? And I was like, oh, and, and I was like, I thought we just got to lie on the floor and cry and worship. But no, actually, now we have to do the hard work of saying, I'm really sorry that you're upset. I'm really sorry you got hurt by church. And I'm really sorry I misunderstood you and overlooked you and didn't understand. And, and let's, Let's deal with it. I have a guy on our team called Zach, who is the most wonderful guy. He's the nicest human being you could ever possibly meet. And he's never, ever got annoyed with, with me. And I, he's like, he helps run the staff team. And I asked loads of him, like, there's loads of things. I'm like, could you sort this out? He's like, no problem. I'll take care of it. Don't worry. The nicest guy. Anyhow, a, a, few, a few weeks ago, I get this, um, this message from him on my phone. You know how like you're on your iPhone like, or, or your whatever phone model you have, it brings up like a preview text message. just comes up on your lock screen. And, and these two words come up on my lock screen. I'm in the middle of a meeting. And I look down at my phone and it says, message from Zach. And it comes up and it just says two words. One begins with F and is a four-letter word. <laughs> and the second word is the, is the word U. So it just says F-U. And I'm like... Whoa! And in the meeting, I literally physically, I'm like, whoo! And I was like, obviously, I've really upset Zach, and he's letting me know that I've upset him, and he's working it out. So for the whole of the meeting, I couldn't like check what had gone on. I was like, maybe I've upset him, maybe I've like done something. And he's like, it's good that he's getting it out on the, you know, in the out in the open and getting it off his chest. And then I realised uh, about an hour later, I kind of opened my phone up and I realised the previous message had been. He messaged me earlier in the day to say somebody had graffitied the front doors of the church overnight. But it's okay. Don't worry, I painted it over. And I texted him back. I said, hey, what did it say on the graffiti on the front doors of the church? And that's when he texted back. Um, F off. It wasn't like a relation. It wasn't like a relation thing. But hey, could we go beyond the place where we like operate in a place where we're offended with each other the whole time? Yeah, could we be unoffendable? in our commitment to communion. 
Like, could you with the person next to you, when they tread on your toes in a moment, when they're on the way to get coffee, or they upset you, or they don't answer your call, they don't invite you on that WhatsApp group, or they, don't, they let you down, could you choose to be unoffendable and choose to live in reconciliation with one another? If we do that, God will command outpouring and blessing in our generation. It's always been the way. So church, we want to be a church that is set on consecration, set on contending for awakening our generation, set on communion with God and each other. If we do those things, it's not like a magic formula, it's not paint by numbers, but we, what happens is we begin to position our lives in such a way that we are available to God to do whatever He would want to do in our midst. Now, I want to get to heaven and look back at my life. And I want to look back at your lives, this church's story. And I don't want us to have been the only kind of exciting thing happening in an otherwise utterly devastating moment in church history. I want to look back and think we were the forerunners for a great move of God in our generation. That when you are an old man, an old woman, you look back and you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of spiritual children you discipled and a generation which is bursting out of the churches, that the dial would have turned from like 1% church attendance this Sunday in a parish church to like 100%, 50%. I mean, like in Korea, where I saw this happen firsthand, 1950, nobody goes to church. By 2000, over 50% of the population have been converted and now worship. It's happening all around the world. It just hasn't happened here yet. Like, could we position ourselves for awakening in our generation? So what is it you need to get right with God today? As we start this year, like what is it in your heart that you are afraid to tell God that he might reach in and say, leave that with me at the cross? Maybe you're not yet a Christian. You're here like exploring faith. Do not miss this invitation today. There is so much more for you. God has a calling on your life. Start by leaving it at the cross and taking up his life. So number one, like what is it that you need to leave at the cross tonight? Number two, like would you commit in 2024 to learn to contend for prayer? It doesn't mean you have to get very good at prayer. It means you have to get a bit more desperate. Like it's not going, hey, I'm gonna become like the, the person who turns up early for every prayer meeting. Like, could you start to raise your faith and expectancy that God would be able to break open the ceiling in our generation and pour out His power in the city and pray those kind of prayers rather than like, hey, Lord, thank you so much for like my paycheck or my girlfriend or whatever it is. Like, could we raise our eyes to contend for revival? Learn to pray for revival, for awakening. And then thirdly, could we strive for communion with each other and with God. Like if you do nothing else, if you've got beef with someone else in this room, I'm giving you seven days notice. You've got seven days to make it right. Like go find them. Apologize. If they've hurt you, don't come to church next week before you've made it right. Book in a coffee. Say, look, I'm so sorry. I've had a year of coffees with people I've upset. Trust me, it's been some of the most painful work I've ever done. I've apologized to everyone I can think of. If, if I've upset you, come and find me. Join the queue. <laughs> Like, but like, there's no other way to live yeah. than right with God and right with each other. Yeah. What we do when we do these things is we begin to position our lives in such a way that God cannot resist but come. Yeah. And not for your benefit, not to make you look good, but for those around you. I think of one guy who texted me. He said this, 
and ask for permission if you could share this. Recently, he said this, I was at church serving and loving Jesus deeply. Jesus had changed my life six years before. Six years later, I was in a low headspace and I used Coke for the first time on a night out. That turned into a weekend pattern of heavily drinking and using Coke. I was stuck in this pattern. My love for Jesus was shaking as my addiction was growing. I pursued the weekends to find escapism, fun and oblivion. With deep shame and guilt, I would cry out to God for help. But I'd use again and again. And agonizingly, I decided I would share my struggles with close friends. I was met with love and kindness. And then March, first joint prayer gathering, I remember we just began to see the Lord move wonderfully. And like you've been seeing, God beginning to show up, this presence beginning to show up. People start to take Jesus seriously. He said this, there were three key services at church. One service, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I saw Jesus sat next to me with his arm around me and I discovered in a new way the love of the Father. The second service I was prayed for by one of the church leaders and a close friend. I received God's Holy Spirit and power. Again, I unashamedly shared the ugliness of my situation. I was met with love and compassion. A week later, I went sober and I've stayed sober, but I was living with guilt and shame of what my life had fallen into. Finally, at one of the joint prayer gatherings with KXC and Imprint and Saint, two guys I didn't know for, could be two of you in this room, two guys I didn't know for prayed for me. When I thought I was done, they said, we sent me to keep praying for you. As they prayed, deep work began in me. I I was being delivered of my addiction. I was being set free. Chains were breaking. Freedom was falling in my life. The Holy Spirit moved in a way I've never experienced. Jesus was so kind and beginning to heal and set me free for the last two years of my life. Then he ends this, Jesus changed my life. He chased after me in my addiction. He has given me freedom. He is jealous for us. That's what I long for, that you might experience, that I might experience the God who's jealous for you and I. Amen.